the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. You are truly Jesse Gestand in the house with you. Uh, One more time on a, shall I say it, wonderful Monday evening, a wonderful day here in the Bay Area. Once again, glad to be with you. This is uh, Lifeline, the Monday edition by which we kind of open the phone lines up and talk about the issues of today or whatever might be on our hearts and minds. Just glad to be with you for the next two hours. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Good to have you with me today. The number, okay, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. So, what shall we talk about? You know, I'm listening to the news at length over the last couple, two or three months, and I'm honing in on the buzz around the president largely. And I think I talked about it last week. Man, I don't know. Um, We should be able to um have a re- relatively coherent or um agreeable disposition and uh, perspective about the president you know but so many things are going on in our country i mean really at the core and um and at the structural base of our country both locally and globally that really just has me scratching my head when it comes to the, the the manner in which our president is handling certain things. I, I'm I'm really disturbed. I'll be honest with you with what's going on in um uh, in the border issues. If any of you have had your ear to the pulse of the policy process by which um, illegal um, entry persons are trying to get into the states with their family and how that once they are caught. Very frequently, their families are separated from them and they find themselves, uh, as it were, um, really perturbed about uh, the policy of of a father being separated from his son or a mother being separated from her daughter. And it's it's just it's just really uh, a very difficult, very difficult thing for me to to go. You know, uh, they're coming in illegally. There's no doubt about that. If we are going to be a law-abiding nation, we have to acknowledge that coming in through the back door um, is not right. But boy, can't you address those kind of issues with a bit more uh, sympathy relative to um, them coming over with their kids, with their children, and and having their children separated from them. And I, I guess you may have heard, if you didn't, you know, one uh, young Latino uh, basically killed himself when when um, when the police uh, snatched his son out of his arms, and uh, he had no idea where the child would end up 
uh, you know, because there's a language barrier for, for one, and then there's just a culture barrier, and there is a fundamental antithesis between, or antipathy rather, between the uh, criminal behavior of those who are trying to desperately depart from Mexico and come to America and the law enforcement agencies. And I, you know, and then you'll hear our president continue to, to kind of uh, utter the narrative, which is a legitimate narrative. We want to stop all forms of of uh, criminal entry on the part of those who are thugs and criminals and, and violent and hostile without a doubt. We don't want to take that away for a moment. We must not succumb to such a emotionally driven perspective about what we recognize are problematic elements in the policies and implementation of them at the border. And yet we must not, we must not be uh, unsympathetic, unkind, uh, without compassion, without a real need to, to know that you can have a right policy and a wrong practice of the policy. You can have a right principle and a wrong mode of operation with the policy. This is one of the reasons we are in a continued outcry about the way police handle uh, citizens and uh, and particularly people of color when it comes to uh, assuming them to be guilty or assuming them to be um, dangerous uh, just because they stand up and talk to you as a police officer uh, and and want to exercise their rights. it's a problem that has to be fixed. I, I, I just know it's a problem that has to be fixed. And it's definitely not going to um, gain the, the president any kind of points when it comes to those who are not part of his main constituency. And so, yeah, we've got problems in that area without a doubt. But uh, just kind of venting a little bit, let me first of all say happy Father's Day, a belated happy Father's Day to all of you out there who are Fathers, as am I. And if you're a grandfather, great-grandfather, kudos to you, too. Um, You do know what parenthood is all about, right? You do know that fathers and mothers are largely about one thing. You know what that is? Children. Fathers and mothers, according to the will of God, is but for one thing, the reproduction of the Imago Dei. Um, and that is children being brought into the world and children are brought into a mess, aren't they? And uh, being brought into this world ostensibly by love, which attracts, attaches and then produces. <laughs> That's the way we put it. Attract, attach and then produce. Um, we should do the uh, best we can to, to give our kids safety, foundation, um, structure, um, principles, guidance. Uh, examples, right, in order that they might have half a chance of dealing with this crazy world that you and I live in, because it, it is clearly uh, getting getting worse on so many levels, getting getting worse by the day. And yet we're called to be here, be missional and be purposeful as the, as the people of God when it comes to that. So I was thinking about a really good article that I was jazzed by the other day. And I want to read it to you, and I'll use this kind of as a a primer for some discussion um, as the uh, segments move forward. This is our meditation for today and uh, and some questions to boot. And it's fundamentally this. It's an article by Hannah Bayer, and uh, she writes, What your child needs more 
than uh, self-esteem. It's not a question. It's basically a proposition. Um, What your child needs more than self-esteem? Self-worth is everything to a child. That's what she's stating. Self-worth is everything to a child. She's dealing with something us parents have uh, been confronted with in our child rearing and raising babies. And I want you to I want you to resonate with this. And then I want us to dialogue about it. OK, self-worth is everything to a child. She said she said it with finality, her eyes intense with passion. I guess Hannah was having an interview interview with a mother who struggled with telling kids that they are bad only causes emotional instability they aren't ready to handle. Now, this is someone who had spoken to her and said, when you tell kids they're bad, it only causes emotional instability that they really can't handle. I know some of you guys are already saying, yes, that's true. Well, hold on now. Listen to Hannah. Watch this. I've seen it result in terrible things, said this lady. She trailed off, but her penetrating look did not. She was an older, experienced mom. I was a young and rocking my firstborn child. Her warning intimidated me, but it left me with this tension. Where does self-worth fit in a world of sin? If every human being is born in sin, then tiny humans are no different. Toddlers are sinners too. Now, how does a parent address sin in a child's life while tiptoeing around their self-esteem. What a good subject. How many of you guys understand the tension that goes on here when at some point when your kids are old enough for you to articulate and talk to them about sin, how difficult it is to let them know they're sinners and the consequences thereof. She goes on to say, this tension was accidentally resolved for me a few years later through a simple catechism. Instead of expressing my own disappointment in my son's sins, personally labeling him bad, I worked to communicate God's response to his sin. I would ask, what does obedience bring? And he would answer, blessings. See, she had already been teaching him catechisms, and catechisms help young people and babies and even adults understand the fundamentals of the nature of God, the nature of man's sin, and things like that, you know. Westminster Catechism, Canons of Door, Belgian Confession, and and even other uh, 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 what we would call confessions uh, that would help us understand fundamental doctrine. She said, what does obedience bring? And the boy said, blessing. What does disobedience bring? And the boy said, consequences. I think that's pretty good. She goes on to say, I admit blessing and consequences didn't teach morality at first. At best, they taught self-control. At worst, they worked like a bribe. Mm. What they did communicate was a biblical framework for understanding life. The very framework God teaches us. Jesus often uses the promise of heavenly blessings and the threat of eternal consequences as motivation for following him. The same pattern that had marked God's relationship with the Israelites. When Israel obeys, the nation is what? Blessed. When they disobey, God imposes what? Consequences. The repeated catechism, obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings consequences, started as a way to explain to my boy why he was receiving discipline or when he could expect blessing. What I didn't realize until much later was the depth at which it would help him understand sin and forgiveness from early ages. 
the catechism exposed both the seriousness of the wrongdoing and also the relational blessing born from obedience. And this led naturally into many gospel conversations. Isn't that good? Experiencing earthly consequences helped my son grasp eternal consequences. Knowing God blesses obedience gave depth to Jesus's obedience. My son's own eternal consequences given to Jesus. Jesus earned the blessing bestowed on him. Now, here's the struggle, and I want you to hear this. She says, here was my struggle. I vividly remember my four-year-old trying to work out the effects of sin. There were a few weeks when every day he'd say, Mom, can we talk about sin? (laughs) Sin is disobedience, he'd tell me. Like when you say you wash your hands and you, you went potty, but really you didn't. He explains the consequence for sin is death, but Jesus took the consequences. At this point, I try to make the conversation personal. Do you want Jesus to take your consequences? And her son said, I think so. If you ask Jesus to take your consequences, you're asking him to be your boss. You're asking him to tell you what's right and wrong. I don't want to. I get tired of asking about that. This is what she was saying in the article. And for weeks, that's how every conversation ended. He wasn't interested in Jesus' lordship in his life. Though small, chubby, (laughs) cheeked, and dressed like Super Mario, he understood that sin was departure from God's authority. Now, ladies and gentlemen, see, our children, even at very young ages, can learn this. The more this conversation happened, she said, the more I realized his relational problem with Jesus was his beloved autonomy. Even our kids at three and four years old want their autonomy. As small as he was, even he knew this. This conversation wasn't born out of my son's sense of self-worth. It was a direct result of grappling with his badness. He was faced with the serious problem. He knew about the reality of sin and believed in the consequences of his disobedience. He even knew the cure for sin was a relationship with Jesus, but he didn't know how to accept this cure while still loving his sin. The weight of the dilemma pressed on him, so he worked through it, having this same conversation with me as many times as it occurred to him. The answer, watch this. Then one day, the end of the conversation changed. There was no drama, no emotional uh, breakthrough. He just changed his mind about what he wanted and gave up the freedom to declare what was right in his own eyes Instead of replying, I don't want to ask God about right and wrong, he simply said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Will you please take my consequences away? Will you be my boss? See, it's not cruel to tell children they're sinners. Sin is real, destroying lives and devouring souls. This isn't different In the life of a child, what's cruel is letting them live in their sinfulness, unaware of it. The weight of my son's sin drove him to look for an answer, a weight he he couldn't have felt without knowing the inherent badness of his sin, of his choice, and ultimately of his own heart. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, Paul observes, whereas worldly grief produces death. My son had to know he was bad and to know the infinite consequences of his badness. He had to feel crushed under the reality of that badness 
until he was willing to say, I can't fix this. I need Jesus to help. And by God's grace, that's exactly what he did. Again, the author is Hannah Bauer. She's a wife, a mom of of two. She's a photographer, and occasionally she attempts to be a, a painter. But I'll tell you what, I really enjoy her article because she does something for parents that are still raising young ones that I think is really challenging today. And I actually want to talk to you about it after the break. When we come back from the break, I do want to ask you, what would be the ways in which you would help your children biblically understand sin, its consequences, and the alternative in a, in, in a, in a way that does not come off as legalistic or, or, or merit uh, oriented or works oriented, but 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 would be effective enough for them to know that even they have to deal with their subtle little sins uh, until God shows grace on them. What would be other ways? I've got five ways that I was thinking about, maybe even six. I'm going to share them with you. This is uh, belated Father's Day, so what I'm doing is I'm opening up uh, the conversation around our children and how we can help them early on recognize what they really are as opposed to what the world tells them they are and what we have a tendency to want to tell them or avoid to tell them as parents. I hope this is of a blessing to you, and if it is, give me a call, one 367 5329 I'll answer your phone calls when we come back. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. We're back time 525 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's, he's old, it will not depart from him. He will not depart from it. That's what God calls us to do. And I, again, if you're parents out there, I think you should somewhat resonate with this. And if you are a parent out there and have raised kids, um, Love to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you heard my opening monologue and actually reading an article from a blogger, one Hannah Bear, who struggled with her son uh, as he was three or four years old and uh, trying to help him understand his sinfulness. Now, uh, the way I had opened up that article was she was dealing with a mom who was older, who was really irate with her for having um, told her child that he is indeed a sinner. Now, I remember distinctly having that kind of internal conflict when it came to my own children as well. How do we tell them at two and three years old that they are sinners in a way that would um, be productive and lead them to a greater knowledge and understanding of God that would ultimately result in their salvation? Sticky, sticky, sticky stuff, isn't it? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Um, I, I am glad to say that largely God had blessed my prayers that my kids would come to know Christ and um and that w- and what that meant was we didn't wait. My wife and I did not wait till they were nine or ten years old to talk to them about sin in a sort of abstract uh conceptual way that would uh, not bruise their ego or um, uh, deflate their self-esteem. We really didn't. We simply said what the Bible said and let them know what they are as well as, um, you know, what their parents are. And so I'd love to hear from you if you had a strategy like Hannah did in terms of uh, raising your kids and to help them at an early age talk about sin, understand sin, understand its consequences understand its blessings. And the other thing, you notice what Hannah did, which was really good. 
She didn't do what a lot of parents do today. She didn't cudgel her son into making a decision for Jesus because she knew that that was not authentic. It's not real. This is one of the reasons we don't do the altar call or accept Jesus into your heart, kind of parrot the child into accepting Jesus. None of that is God honoring. And of course, it's not the work of the Holy Ghost, which work of the Spirit of God is to convince us of sin. Do you notice how the Spirit of God used a loving mommy to develop a catechismal approach to sin with her child and then worked in the child's heart to show the child what sin was in terms of his disobedience and his lying and mostly his willful autonomy? Because if you're a parent, as am I, you know that a big part of raising kids is helping them recognize that their autonomy becomes sort of an idol God with them. And that's where they either secretly or overtly say no to you and to God. I mean, that's what her son did. She, he said, no, if, 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 if Jesus bearing my consequences means that he becomes my boss, well, no, I'm, I'm not letting him be my boss. I thought that was great. I've been working on a, a doctrine called the forgiveness of sins, and you guys may be hearing some of that on the radio now. It's one more uh, uh, treatment that I give to that topic from this last Sunday on Father's Day, uh, coming out of Psalm 103 and, and uh, addressing the fact that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And I think you agree with that. And in his pity, God has provided a format, a framework by which we can have a relationship with him through the forgiveness of sins, a powerful, powerful lesson that I hope to share with the world in, in a few days, maybe even a week now on the radio with that. But it, it gets down to this. If you are going to be a Christian parent and you're going to have children who are growing up and, and raised up in a household of uh, 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 where faith and truth and the gospel and the glory of God in Christ are going to be communicated to them at the earliest ages, you really do have to have a strategy that does not cause you to compromise the Bible or make them saints, make the children saints when they are still really uh, rebels, rebels. I loved it. The boy finally came to a place of realizing he was uh, he was an irremediable sinner. He was he was a hopeless sinner. And hey, all right, I finally I give in. I, my sin's too big for me. Lord, help me, and you can be my boss. Um, a whole lot of grown people don't come to the altar that way because that's the part that really is missing in a lot of our teaching today. The rule of Christ in our life. I mean, you even hear it in sort of denominational ranks, arguments between what is called the uh, lordship salvation issue and, and the saviorship of Christ, as if you can divide Christ up into he can be your savior, but he's not your Lord. That's just not true. It's just not true. There's nowhere in the Bible where you meet people who knew the Savior and didn't know him as Lord. Didn't know him as the one that you had uh, pledged allegiance to let him run your life. But I think, you know, grown people have just as big a problem with that as, as, as little people do. The autonomy of our own soul and identity. We, we really don't want God to rule over us. We would love to be saved from our sin. But we don't really want a relationship with God where he rules over us as God. 
So, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's see. I've got two lines open, one 367 I'm going to take a break. Then when I come back, we're going to get at it. Josh and Ron, you hold on. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. Time 534, one line open, one 367 If you want to call in with a question or a comment or an observation, love to hear from you. The psalmist says this in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knows their frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man's days, they are as the grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. Now watch this. And his righteousness unto children's children. Now this is the area in which I'm talking to you about a fatherhood and, and motherhood in relationship to children. There is a very, very strong promise in the word of God that when we who are believers in Christ really do take the gospel seriously and the word of God seriously and the nature of God as a father, a covenant-keeping father, a loyal covenant-keeping father, when we, when we take it seriously, God blesses our families. He really does. It's rare that you would be a real believer, true believer, honest believer, committed believer, faithful believer, and God doesn't impact your household, particularly if you're parents. It's rare. God saves two of a city. Uh, one of a city and two of a family. That means that God is inclined to saving families. And this ought to be the greatest motivation for you to be a believer through and through for the salvation of your children. And guess what? It can start way earlier than it did with you. Again, one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line number one first and talk with Josh in California. Josh, how are you? Doing fine. How about yourself? Great. What's your question, observation, or comment? I actually called in and you gave me this sort of spiel or so about uh, what's going on at the border. And, uh, you know, I personally can, I have a lot to say on that. Well, you won't, uh, you won't be able to take, say a whole lot, but you certainly can let me know how it is that you know what's going on at the border. Well, what I know is I got some family who have been deported and who should be deported, and, you know, their, their crimes, yes, they do deserve to go to jail, but we end up deporting them. Now, why don't we send them to jail? We don't send them to jail because they're not citizens. That's right. But we do But we do now separate them from their children, which is what we do to the criminals here, you know. They do get their visitations rights and so on and so forth, but we got to follow the law. We're a nation of laws, and without laws, what do we got? We got anarchy lawlessness and crime we can't have that we can't raise a family in that sort of environment okay keep going if what you want me to what you want me to do parse with what you said i i wanted to hear what you think when it comes to how i feel how you would feel if you had someone that has uh uh has a deportation order or so that they can't be here because I have mixed emotions, personally. Good. I, I was born here. I was born in the States. But then I got, I got father and stepfather who they shouldn't, they shouldn't have been here. 
and they've done crimes, you know, that they, they should leave. They shouldn't be here. But I, I still love them. Of course. And, and I don't know how I would. Oh, did you drop, Josh? I'm torn. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I thought you dropped on me. Did you drop on me? Are you there? No. Okay. Yes, I'm here. All right. I'm just saying that 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 I feel torn personally, but, you know, just as, just as you know, we're sinners and we, we love sinners, but we hate the sin, we hate the crime, we have to, you know, we, we could appeal to Jesus for our sins, but how can we appeal for, you know, illegally crossing the border? How right, can we do that? Right, so let me, let me reframe it a bit because I wouldn't put it the way that you're quite putting it, even though I actually commend your... Um, attempt to demonstrate some sympathy because when it comes to righteousness for the believer, if he does not couple it, Josh, with sympathy, it's not Christian. When it comes to righteousness, if he doesn't couple it with sympathy, it is not Christian. We can be legalists. We can be self-righteous. We can even be law-righteous. We can impose law without any kind of compassion, but it wouldn't be Christian. It wouldn't be the revelation of the invisible God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sympathetic with men and women because of their plight and difficulty and gave them a strategy out. And so here's what I would say. We as believers have to be given to struggle with policies that lack empathy, policies that lack a kind of sympathy that understands that you can actually add insult to injury if you don't deal with the crime in a manner that is remedial and helpful. Here these people are coming over largely because they want to escape poverty. You and I know, if you do, because I do know for a fact, that we do have an element that is very much criminal hostile, given to gangs, given to violence, crimes, and all that. That's what I was saying earlier in my monologue, not my spiel, but my monologue about the president um, being right in part about needing to make sure that we don't end up having so many um, uh, unprincipled and uncharacteristic persons in America that you and I are looking up and they're breaking into our homes and stealing us and robbing us, et cetera. I got that. I am totally with you on that with the president as well. What I was saying in my opening monologue is we really should be working towards a kind of policy that makes sure that the children who are being dragged along with the parents don't suffer the kind of um, undue trauma that would come with them simply being ripped out of the arms of the government uh, and and, and put who knows where and made to suffer who knows what uh, when there could be just a much more practically prudent way of doing it. Do I have the answer as to what should be done? No, but I certainly want to do this because I have uh, a close to relatives as do you, Josh, who who are coming over uh, illegally and wanting to have a better life here, of which if I was put in the immediate sort of proximity to have to negotiate and debate and, and determine how that would be done, I certainly would want justice to be uh, meted out, but I would also want sympathy to be shown because the children didn't ask for this kind of dilemma, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, yes, I, yes, I do uh, understand that that is uh, that is a, that is right, and yeah. that we put in grace with that judgment that we are putting uh, on these uh, people that are crossing over the border. They are trying to, you know, escape poverty and right. uh, situations in life that 
you know, we don't have here. Right. And uh, we we do sympathize with them in that, and that's why this issue is so controversial. Exactly. Um, and and I, be, I believe there there is a, a situation that is wholly appropriate. Um, it eludes us. Right. We need much prayer and supplication on right, this issue. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, I also do believe that somewhere the Bible is just an amazing, it, it's an amazing tool that, that God has given us. I, I think agree. if we look, we could we could find somewhere in there. I agree. In our measure of sympathy, some sort of of, of solution. I agree. No, you know what? I'm going to say this because I don't know if anybody else is going to call, man, about this topic. I am very glad you call um, because, you know, I think sometimes believers don't even want to get into these sticky conversations because of political things. Like, you know, I'm a person of color. You sound like you're a person of color, too. I'm African-American. You sound like you might be Latino. I could be wrong. But if you are Latino... Um, we have a whole lot more in common that I ha- than I have even time to talk about, and that might go both ways. But but my my point is is that because of so much political divisiveness and so many uh, politically charged issues going on in America that even divide Christians, we don't even see a platform by which we can have the kind of conversation you and I are having about how can we help our Latino brothers and sisters understand the need to come through the front door of righteousness while at the same time helping them also work through the dire strait that puts them and the whole family in a kind of predicament that would divide them uh, with irreparable damage. I think the Christian church should be willing to have this conversation out loud with our relatives, with our friends, to try to come up with a solution. Because a lot of times, Josh, it's not coming from government. Government, biblically, is depicted as a beast. And what that means is its job really is to come down hard, man. Its job is to come down hard. And its other institutions that are to be more uh, philanthropic and humanitarian and and charitable and Christ-like, including the church. So I really do appreciate your conversation on this. It looks like this might have been the first time you call, but you certainly are welcome to call again if you hear me talk about anything along these lines, or you can do it, because I actually appreciate brothers who are willing to talk about some of this stuff, man, that's right in front of our face And I'm not hearing any Bible. I'm not even hearing anybody saying, let's go to the book. And I fully agree with you. I know the answer is in this book, just like you do. I know it's there. It's just that we have to actually look for that ethic, look for that moral, look for that example, and then recommend it to our leaders. So listen, man, thank you for your call. Appreciate it. Call back again. Um, Let me go to line number two before I go to break and talk with Ron and Mill Peters. Ron was patient as well. Uh, Line number two. Ron, are you there? Hey, hey, thank you. I'm there. Can you hear me? Yes, indeed. What's your question, comment, or observation? You know, me and my son had just talked about that issue, so I don't want to get into that because me and my son just had a 45-minute conversation about it. Let me ask a question, though. Was it a debate or was it a – like me and Josh, we just had a good conversation around it. So I was glad that it worked out with Josh and I. Was Was it healthy? My son, well, you know, my son is more liberal than I am. Okay. And he said, he said the issue, and I said, I understand that issue, except for, what about the law? Right. See, in San Francisco, what was that young man that got off from shooting that girl and killing her? He really and didn't get off, out. though. He, he, he didn't really get off. We, we're still dealing with him, but, I, but that was a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. Go ahead on, Ron. Right. 
Right, and I brought that up. I said, so we should go ahead and let them break the law because of their family. We got to find a solution, but we also got to obey the law. I agree. And that's that's what I told my son. I said, no, I'm not all in favor of bunking them out because I, you know, there's another issue about people that were grew up here, but they they were illegal because but they were babies. I know a couple of people like that, and it breaks my heart. Absolutely. But I don't know how to stand on that because one minute is, do we go with the law? But what about the people? So, I, you know, that's why I, I didn't want to get into that issue because of this. <laughs> okay. Okay. So tell me, tell me, I, no. So you're again, uh, I, I, you know, two kudos, man, you and you and Josh, because people don't want to talk about it. And at least what I'm getting from both of you guys before I hear some knucklehead who wants to just slam the law down as if he is immune to the complexity of human dilemma and, and somehow don't need mercy as well. Um, I, I do want to hear your other topic, but I'm going to take a break. So hold on. And then when I come back, we'll close out this segment together. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. I'll come back with Ron after this. We're going to pay some bills. And when we come back, we'll continue with uh, the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines are open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Love to hear from you. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. We are back to the time, 5.51 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm talking with Josh from Milpitas. Josh, now what was your basic uh, question or a query today? No, it was Ron. Remember Josh? Oh, I'm Miller. sorry, Ron. Ron, you're That's right. Okay. No problem, no problem. See, Josh, no, Josh no, hit me, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But that same child that I was discussing that same issue with... Yeah. I remember when he was a little boy, right? And he used to always come up to dad, and we talk, and when we go to church, he'd ask questions, and yeah, we we dealt with that issue of sin. And I used the, now my wife was happy with the issue, but I used that what happened when he was in the car with mommy. Okay, mommy was speeding, right? And mommy got a ticket, right? And so I explained to him, well, see, sin is like when we do something we know we're not supposed to, but we don't care and we do it anyway right remember that day when mommy was speeding oh yeah and then the cop pulled over well think about it this way mommy speeding was sin and the cop was acting in the place of god to tell her you're not supposed to do that and so that ticket became a consequence for her sin mm-hmm. now the following but that's not over now the following weekend he wanted to go with me to the store. So I used to take him to the store grocery shopping and whatever. Sure. And when we got home from the grocery shopping, he had a pack of gum in his hand. And I asked him, I said, Andrew, where'd you get that gum? At the store. I said, well, did somebody give it to you? No. He said, so I said, where'd you get Oh, I took it. I said, son, remember what I told you about mommy? And so I said, okay, we're going to make this right. Because when we sin, we have to make it right. Yeah. Mommy got a ticket, so she paid her ticket. That's how she made it right. But we can't do that with a piece of gum, so we're going to go back to the store. I took him back to the store, and and he said we got the attention of a a manager. We went to the manager, and I said, okay, what I asked you to say, I took the gum, and I'm sorry, and handed him. Now he started to cry. He was just a little boy. Of course. And the manager told him, that's okay. Thank you for being honest, son. And I gave him a big hug. I said, you know, Daddy, you're so proud of you. And listen to that man. He said, you became honest. Even doing a mistake, you turned around and made it right. Absolutely. So you did a good job there. And so if I were um, to put what you did in a category, Ron, I would put it in the category of personal illustration. And that's really the way the article was by Hannah. If you heard me reading the article, she had to work with her son until he came to realize he is now responsible for his actions. But fortunately, he could define his action 
as right and wrong, which a lot of our kids can today, and your son could too, because you were in this life as a dad, as we ought to be, and you actually did something really good, because I'm not sure, I am really not sure a lot of parents would have uh, taken that opportunity to draw up that kind of illustration in that child's life that really could have um, challenged him emotionally, challenged his self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera. But you and I know that we have to be so careful about allowing sort of psychological terminology and, and emotionalism to actually obscure uh, the call to train our kids in righteousness and therefore do it anyway, even if it made him uh, sorrowful, even if it made him cry, because he had to really face the weight of what he had done. And you and I know it as he learned then that um, the the consequences of our sins, and these are only temporal, not eternal, but the consequences of our sins, um, they only impact us because of our pride. See, yeah. even as a little boy, he had pride. And that pride was being crushed because whenever we have to confront the ugliness of what we are and what we do, pride has to now be demolished because now you have to walk in a path of humility. But that means pride has to go down. And so he felt what it's like to have to repent and to own up and to confess and to acknowledge. But he also saw the blessing of a dad who was with him as a paraclete and a uh, and a store clerk who was able to recognize that he had done something well without adding insult to injury. Now, there's one more step, and you can help me with this one as we're talking it through, because I'm going to carry this uh, example over to the next hour, and I hope other parents, particularly dads, call in, as did you, to talk about how we work with our kids in order to help them understand they're sinners in need of a Savior. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I, actually, in that example that you gave, Ron, you showed how the law is to be honored and how sin has consequences and that the first step is to acknowledge that sin. And we know that that is prerequisite to a full salvation experience because the Bible plainly says the work of the Holy Ghost, first and foremost, is to convince men of sin and then of righteousness and then of judgment, meaning sin has to be fully persuaded of before men will seek a righteousness by which God accepts them. Sin will has to be fully persuaded of before men say, I need a righteousness outside of myself by which God would accept me. So I want to know, when did your son come to that point where he recognized his sin would undo him for all eternity, except he seek Jesus to be his consequent bearer and therefore Lord. Did that ever occur? Um, at the age of seven. At the age of seven? Yeah. And so you are saying right now that your son, who is largely liberal, um, still knows that he's a sinner and recognizes that Christ's righteousness is his only hope for glory and that he is safe from condemnation because Christ bore his judgment. Your son is a Christian indeed. Oh, yes. And he goes to church regularly. And sometimes um, he'll come to church with me. And on certain cases, I'll come to church with him. Oh, that's great. See, See, that's my point. That's why I'm having this conversation, because 
Um, I, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up around the church. I didn't grow up with people talking church. And fortunately, God did get me about 17, 18 years old, but it was due to outside influences with the Bible and things of that nature. But I do know that God will work early in the lives of our children if we are bold, confident, and gracious enough to talk, them, talk to them about law mixed with grace and mercy so that they come oh, to see Jesus. Well, Jesse, I have three sons. I have a 30-year-old, a 23-year-old, and then a three-year-old. Okay. And the three-year-old is now his turn. And and when we're on talking about something and I got to go somewhere, he'll say, go with God, Daddy. There you go. So you see you still keeping up the the good work of being a um a father who wants your sons to know the true heavenly father. And I and I commend you oh, for yeah. that. I commend you, man. I commend you and I commend all, every father out there for believing the gospel and the power of God enough to tell our kids early on what the truth is about who God is, Christ, the work of the spirit, the gospel, grace, and what it can do in the lives of even, you know, little children. So, uh listen, man, thanks for the call and uh, call back again. Okay. Anytime, anytime. Okay, you take it easy. Yes, indeed. Let me go to line number three and see what Mark is talking about. Mark, what say ye on line number three? Hate has no home here. Look that up, uh, KFAX listeners. Hate has no home here. It's linked to beat. So now, now, Mark, I will ban you forever if if you ever do that again. Hate has no home here, folks. All right. So that's it. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a break. All the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Um, I I'd love to hear from you about your stories about how you struggle with helping your children understand um, the gospel and its claims that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including them, and that. Um, There's no hope outside of Christ and that Christ is the only righteousness that will ever cause us to be accepted before God. But when once you accept Jesus as Savior, you are automatically receiving him as Lord as well. Love to hear your stories. one 367 Thank you, Ron, for that. Going to take a break. When I come back, we'll continue on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 